there, Follow community. Welcome to the podcast. We're into March now, which means a few things. If you're really into college basketball, you got March Madness coming up. If you live in the Midwest like I do, you're super happy to know that spring is just a little bit closer. I mean, March is spring maybe, but not really in the Midwest. You never know. And chances are you're gearing up for Easter, which means yeah, we're just under a month away. And while it's not in March, it tends to be madness. So hopefully you're doing great, all your prep for Easter. It's also incredible to think about the fact that we've reached one year since COVID lockdown started. I mean, that's crazy. And who of us could have imagined that it would have lasted this long? I mean, many of us were thinking about last year's Easter, thinking, well, maybe by Easter we'll be back to normal. But here we are a whole year later talking about Easter and most churches are still under some kind of restriction as far as meeting in person. You know, how have you been holding up? If I can be honest, which I try to be normally, I'm super tired of talking about the unprecedented times that we're living in. I mean, it seems like every time I'm listening to the radio or watching TV or a podcast or something, somebody's starting a sentence like that. Well, in these unprecedented times, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? Really, we've been in this version of unprecedented times for like the last 12 months. So I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like they're precedented times. The unprecedentedness of where we're living. Yeah, it seems like it was a while ago and we need to start looking towards the precedented times that we live in. And I've probably been thinking way too much about this and uh, I was talking with my son about it and he was kind of egging me on about this whole unprecedented, precedented thing. And okay, I'm obsessed with the whole idea, but then it hit me one day. I've been reading through the Bible in a year uh, through the YouVersion Bible app, which I've never read through the Bible, let alone in a year. And so kind of, I don't know, super proud of myself for doing it, but it has definitely not been easy. I'm currently behind, if you must know. Anyway, the, one of the cool things about it is in the reading plan, you're kind of jumping between the Old and New Testament on any given day. And it's, it's been really cool to see how God is working in similar ways, you know, separated by hundreds or thousands of years. And the one thing that isn't common with a lot of those the, uh, things that I'm reading about is that God is showing up in people's lives in unprecedented ways. The burning bush, coming to earth in human form, definitely not something people thought was going to happen. Joseph being, you know, the main man in Egypt and, you know, feeding the 5,000. God is unprecedented. He's, you know, the Bible is full of moments where unprecedented things are happening and God is showing up. So when I think about the times that we live in globally, but more importantly, locally and personally, God is the God of the unprecedented. So for me, uh, that shift in thinking, when I hear unprecedented times now, it doesn't seem like a hopeless statement. And so for you listening, take hope in your situation that these are the moments that God can use to show up in our lives. The unprecedentedness of where we live, yeah, it's ripe for God to show up and for us to trust him and see him work. Yeah, I love it. All right. If you're new to our podcast, I'm not usually rambling about unprecedented times, but our goal is to help technical artists in the local church become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. And we do this not only with the podcast, but with the Philo Conference, Philo Coaching, Philo Staffing, Philo Resources, which includes our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. There are all kinds of ways that we're trying to equip you to be the best version of yourself you can so that God's design for reaching the earth, which is the local church, would become super effective. And uh, of all those things, you know, the Philo Conference is kind of our biggest thing. And that's coming up in about two months. The Philo 2021 Chicago on May 11th and 12th, we're about two months out. And you've probably heard by now, or if you haven't, you know, here's a, here's a newsflash. We've shifted our focus this year to be a live virtual event with a studio audience in the room live. And we've got tickets available for both streaming and for the in-person studio audience. We have limited seating there, so those will go fast. So if you want to come in person, you got to, well, number one, you got to like check a lot of boxes now about uh, COVID-related things before you can buy a ticket. But if you want a ticket, 
we'd love to have you in person. And like I said, there's only so many of those available. We also have a price change coming up. If you're listening to this in real time in two days from now, the price will change. So make sure you go to phyla.org and register now. Uh, I've been having some really great conversations with some of our faculty and our main session speakers, and I'm getting super excited for what God's going to be doing and speaking to each of us at the conference. And one of those main session speakers that I talked to recently is the guest on our podcast today. Dr. Andrew Johnston is a speaker, consultant, and author uh, with a huge array of other prior experience that have all led him to this moment where he wrote a book called Fired Up kindling and keeping the spark in creative teams. And we heard him speak a few years ago and we read his book and we thought, man, he would be really great for our Philo community to hear from. And we had a kind of a meandering conversation on this podcast, which is completely on me. I sort of took us all over the map, but I enjoyed it and hopefully you will too. So let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. I've been really looking forward to it. Yeah, this will be fun. So we met, I think, just through the course of working on the next Philo conference, which you will be a part of. And so we've had some really great conversations. And through those thought, oh, man, it would be really great to sit down and record a podcast. You've done some really interesting things that I think apply to our audience and would love to kind of unpack those with you today. So yeah, I'm excited too. So maybe uh, before we jump too far into this, why don't you tell people kind of what it is you do right now, and then maybe some of the backstory of, you know, how you ended up in this place? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure those two things connect so smoothly. But uh, <laughs> I'm a I, I'm a consultant right now. I guess you'd call it. But I, I wear a lot of different hats. I find myself in a lot of different circumstances. So sometimes I just describe it saying, "Look, I'm I walk with leaders and teams and." all sorts of contexts, helping them to be more effective. So I end up being a coach, being a speaker, being a trainer in the corporate world and the military world, the nonprofit and church world, education, you know, it's really diverse. And that's sort of the joy of it is getting to, to connect in all those places. But that's, that's what I do now. Okay. <laughs> what I used to do, my career was primarily in higher education. I was a, a professor and an administrator and, for many years, I was the dean of students at a university and worked in student affairs. So that too was one of those roles where you wear all kinds of hats and let me kind of dabble in roles that had to do with, you know, doing legal things and dealing with health and welfare and programming events and planning things. I mean, it was just all sorts of different things. So. I may be some sort of an eclectic mess that's found a good place to land. <laughs> yeah, I find that most people are eclectic messes in some way. Uh, so, yeah, when I think about all the things and the interests that I have that all sort of combine together to make me who I am, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm not sure I would have connected the dots ever, but somehow they well, were connected. And I've got enough mileage on me now that it's kind of it's kind of cool at this point to be able to look back on this life that didn't necessarily make all that sense going forward and actually see how God had a plan to pack all the right things in for my current experiences. So it, it's kind of fun to get to glimpse that. I, I think that probably happens to all of us all the time, but we don't know it as we're walking through it, you know, in one direction. It takes a while to look back and see it. Yeah. And I think on that note, uh, just one of the things I can remember when I was in college, somebody was giving a talk about Joseph uh, from the Old Testament and how if you had told him that he would one day rule <laughs> Egypt, you know, when he was a teenager, he probably would have run the opposite direction. And so, you know, he just, he needed all those experiences to, to prepare him for that moment. And I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, when I think about my own life and the things I'm doing, I'm like, I'm probably glad I didn't know this in my 20s because I would not have wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with you. But I also think it's encouraging. I find myself saying this to other people now that, you know, you don't have to know how everything fits together either. You know, sometimes it's 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 complex and you don't need to be discouraged by the lack of like a clear path through it. Sometimes it's that messiness that God's just using to prepare you perfectly for the future. So you're not off track, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I think about that often when I'm uh, thinking about my kids and their choices and like, oh, yeah, this maybe eventually will, you know, lead somewhere. But right now, what the heck are they doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, this is, I mean, it's a topic that's, I, I don't want to run off that way, but this is a <laughs> near and dear topic to me because my background's in counseling psych, really. Okay. And so the idea of development and, and really trying to 
grow into the man or woman that God has really prepared you to be is is near and dear to me. Mm. And so I, I love the the way you put that because there are so many choices that people make that they don't necessarily have to serve a pre-existing destination. Sometimes I think it's a lot more effective to take stock of how God's built you and, and try to lean into those things, even if you don't know where that path leads, just build on those things and you're on the right path for wherever he'll employ you later. Yeah, so I'm gonna keep going down this path because I <laughs> this is interesting to me. The thing that we, especially in culture today where it's so easy to compare your life to someone else's by looking at somebody's Instagram or Facebook page or something like that and lose sight of the fact that God has created each of us uniquely for a purpose and has a plan for us that he's, I think, trying to guide us through. And so many of us, I think, miss, miss those moments or just working so hard to be something else that you, you miss the opportunities that God has for you. Mm-hmm. I just think about my own life and doing this Philo thing. Like it started with, well, I'm going to take a step and see what happens. And then take yeah. another step. And, you know, just taking a risk that God has a plan and he created me uniquely. And so let's follow that and see where it leads. And so anyway. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting because I think most people imagine that they have to take aim at a specific destination. Like they start with the end in mind and then they try to chart the most efficient course from where they are to that. And I get why people do that. There's clarity in that. And like if you're going to go to college and things like that, it, it helps save you money so that you can right, yeah. shorten the path, right? But I, I sometimes think that we're wrong because often we're when we're deciding on that goal, we're we're young, we're inexperienced, we haven't seen things, so it's not the right goal. And instead, maybe we should be kind of taking a closer look at our current experiences and our current talents and then try to guess where that would lead. Like, this is a silly example, but years ago, I went to take my wife on a, a vacation. I wanted to surprise her. And so I packed the bags. I made the reservations and everything. And we were going to go. And I wasn't telling her where we were going at all. And she was getting super stressed out because <laughs> out that my wife doesn't want surprises like that. <laughs> um, the unknown really worried her. And so I wanted to help her relax, but I didn't want to give the secret away. So what I said to her was, look, I'm, I'm not going to tell you where we're going, but I'll let you look in the suitcase. So she opened the suitcase and she looked in there so she could see that there were bathing suits and things like that. So she had an idea. And sometimes I think about that now or I share that story with some people to say, look, I I don't know that God always tells us exactly where we're headed. At least in my experience, that doesn't happen much. Right. But you can look in the suitcase. You can check check out what talents you have and what experiences you're having and all. And I don't think God stocks us with those things unnecessarily. He's preparing you for the purpose that he's built you. Oh, interesting. So yeah. Sometimes if you take stock of those things, it might allay your fears that you're adrift or you're not headed in the right direction. Maybe you can even look at those things and kind of figure out from those, maybe what purpose you're here to achieve. Right. Oh, that's so good. Yes. Knowing what's in the suitcase. <laughs> that, would, that would relieve a lot of stress. Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, this may be another podcast episode we can come back to, uh, <laughs> but this is super fascinating. I mean, I, okay, I'm going to stay on it a little bit longer. So I, uh, when I was getting ready to decide what I wanted to do with my life, it felt very much planned out for me. And this is mostly looking back, felt like I, I was ignoring how I was wired up to do the thing I thought that I was supposed to do or that people were telling me to do. And I think finally getting to the point of saying, I'm going to do this thing that I feel like is more my wiring and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's led me, you know, for all these years to where I am now. And so I've spent so much time with my kids just saying, let's find your thing. And yeah. like, well, we, my wife and I say, let's grease the skids in the direction and try to maximize that, you know, who God's wired you to be. And yeah. Uh, been interesting because I think for some, one of my children, they struggle with that kind of too many options. You know, it's like, the, yeah. you could choose anything. What would you choose? Uh, you know, just uh, where yeah. some of the others kind of know what that direction is. Yeah. I envy the tidiness of, you know, people that have always done what they wanted to be, or they, they wanted to be an accountant. So they kind of hopped on the bus and a number of years later, they got off there an accountant. You know, I, yeah. And there are days I envy that tidiness because I'm a hot mess. <laughs> but I'm, but I, 
I don't want that because I want it to be more aligned, perhaps. Not not that accountants aren't aligned. Many of them are. I want it to be aligned with what God has prepared me for. And for me, that kind of flips the script on development. It means that developing yourself isn't about becoming somebody you should be or somebody else that would be better. It's not about looking outside, choosing something and charting a course to it. It's about looking inside and then extending what you find there into the fullest extent of what it could be. And that's just not what we say in culture. That's not what books are telling you. But as believers, we understand that that Christ didn't make us just people. Like we're not just human number one million one hundred. You know that sort of thing. He made right. us just to be who we are. The the language the Bible uses is that we're His workmanship. You know the the His craftsmanship and the work of His hands, or that we were knit together in our mother's wombs. I, I love that language because it's so particular. Like He made you to be Todd specifically. Yeah, yeah made me to be Andrew. And so I think that that part of our worship and our faithfulness to live into our, the purpose for which he's called us is to look inside at that craftsmanship and to kind of get a feel for what is my thing? Like you said, what's my wiring? And then to devote ourselves to extending that into the fullest of what it could be by getting the education and experiences and, and practice that allows us to hone it. And you know, that gets easier and easier as we live life and have something to take stock of. Right. But I just, I think that's a great way to describe it, the way you said your wiring and stuff, because I think really we should flip the script and not pick something we want to be and aim at it. Instead, we should sink into who God made us and how he made us and extend that. Yeah. And I think maybe to take your point a little bit further. So I, there are moments in my life where I could say I was pointed at a, like I'm headed this way. I'm, I see that, that's what I'm, but then along the way, oh, there's like this moment of, oh, I guess it's now this way instead of, yeah. you know, where yeah. I thought. And so I, even looking back and thinking about it right now, just being willing to take the direction that God is leading at those yeah. moments. So yeah, maybe you've got a plan, but be ready to abandon it at any moment. Yeah, hold yeah. on. I love that. Hold on loosely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and to circle back to what you initially asked, which was kind of what do I do now? How do I get there? You know, one of the things I love is now I work with so many different men and women in so many different contexts that I'm so grateful that I, I spent time working on dairy and beef farms. And I've been a construction worker and bricklayer. And I've been an NCAA coach. And I've been a counselor and a professor. You know, all those things that to me always seemed like these are all such different disconnected things. What am I really trying to do? Mm-hmm. Well, now I find that those are the very things that that the Lord draws from to let me have empathy or insight to to help people, to encourage them or equip them for what they're doing. So maybe it's just a matter of living long enough that the pieces start coming together. But I'm really grateful for what I call the hot mess now. <laughs> because if you're in my kind of role where you work with so many different people, that lets you care for and and help a lot of different people better. Yeah, I think too, just even hearing you say, you know, kind of part of part of the benefits of being maybe a little bit older is that you've you're more relaxed in who you are. And I think that's part of the the tension that I mean I can even say for myself as a young person I felt like I wanted to be wired differently than I was. Yeah. Yeah. So like working really hard, not comfortable with who I was that so much of it becomes about, hey, this is who I am. Now, what can we do with this? Instead of, yeah. I wish I were somebody else and I'm going to work really hard at that and, you know, not yeah. succeed. Well, I think that was hard when you and I were kids, just in general. But now, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, there's so much pressure on being something or at least looking like you got it together or that you're being something that's universally acceptable or out through social media and everything else, it's a whole different ballgame. And even if you don't buy into that, none of us are exempt from the effect of that. You know? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So now the, well, now we're going to turn the page into <laughs> to what we really were going to talk about. So I'm really excited about having you come to the Philo Conference and some of the stuff that you're talking about. Maybe we'll talk about that at kind of near the end to sort of tease it out okay. for the people. But you've written a book, which is called Fired Up, Kindling and Keeping the Spark in Creative Teams. And so this was really the reason we reached out to you in the first place. And there's some really great things in here. 
that apply to more than just people that would consider themselves a member of a creative team or even a leader of a creative team. Yeah. A lot of uh, tech people I know, if you say creative, they're imagining you're talking about somebody totally different. And so they kind of, it's easy to turn that off. Like, I'm going to stop listening now. And so uh, as we were talking, you know, just the reality that the things that you're talking about really apply to all of us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because both both those words can be misleading to people, creatives and leaders. Honestly, I wrote this book for an organization that works with creatives in the church. And they, um, they asked me if I'd write a book about uh, leading creatives, which I like. I work with all kinds of creatives. But at the same time, I didn't want to just write a book that only applied to, to creatives, like artists or something. Um, and so I said, sure, I'll do that as long as I can write a book that applies to uh, any team, how to get the most out of people in general and all, because honestly, I, I wanted to be able to use it with all kinds of clients. And they said, cool. So the book is written um, leaning towards creative context, like the examples I use and things like that really speak to the experience of someone who would view themselves as a creative. But the principles in it are are principles that anyone uses to to awaken the best in people and get the most out of people. And I, I, I love that it's been getting good feedback from teams in all kinds of contexts. One of the things you talk about, I love your example of the fire triangle. So you kind of start the, or is it the triangle of fire? I like, uh, I fire oh, triangle. Work. I, I learned triangle. it the fire triangle. <laughs> yeah. So the fire triangle. So why don't you kind of unpack what is the fire triangle and like, how does, how do you see it applying to working with teams of people? Yeah. Um, you know, I always wish that I had a, a kind of sexier answer to this than I really do. <laughs> you know, the truth of this is, is when um, I was first asked to write this book, it was a book about leading creatives. And it was right after um, the, I think it was called Pixar Inc. came out. It was a book by Ed Catmull. Um, so about good. Creativity creative. Inc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Thank you. And it was a great, a great book. I mean, and one by somebody who's like, bonafide expert in all of this. And I thought, good grief, how am I supposed to write a book about this sort of stuff? And I was sitting there pondering, like, how can I organize this? What, what can I do? And I was literally sitting by a big fire pit in my backyard. I live out in the country and I have a big uh, fire out there. And I was just sitting there looking into this fire, kind of waiting for some answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it dawned on me that fire itself might be a good metaphor for creativity and all because creativity is one of those things that's hard to hard to capture and it's it it has this sort of magic to it and all and I was just thinking about that and what it led me to is to think about this as a metaphor for getting the best out of people because when my kids were in school they learned about this thing called the fire triangle that fire required three things to occur one was was oxygen another was fuel and the third thing was heat and if any of these three was missing, it didn't combust. You didn't see the magic happen. It didn't start burning. And so the book is actually written in three sections that correspond to those. It's, you don't have to read it in order or anything like that. It's, it's a section of chapters in the oxygen part that talks about how to release people from the things that hold them back and hem them in. You know, give them room to breathe and and that sort of thing that that helps free them up to be who they can be and contribute how they could contribute. Okay. And then the fuel section is filled with chapters that were about well, okay, so once that happens, how do you how do you keep them burning without burning up or burning out, right? Um, sure. And that you got to keep supplying something to them that helps them sustain and be at their best. And then the final part was, I think we all know that that part of being a leader involves kind of setting a high bar and turning up the heat. But how do you do that without leaving people feeling burned? Well, there's some there's some knack to that. So that last section deals with some of the hard things in leadership, like um, offering critique or, or giving feedback, setting a high bar and challenging people, those sorts of things. So that's, that's kind of where you get all that. Hmm. Yeah, so the very first chapter is called A Highly Oxygenated Environment. Did I say that right? Oxygen. Now that I've said it out loud, <laughs> sure. it doesn't sound correct. So I'm uh, just going to look at just one of the quotes. If you want creatives to connect when it counts, you need to encourage their connections when it doesn't, mm -hmm. which I thought was such a great statement. And when I think about what we do in the local church and people that are responsible for doing things on the weekend, you know, there's usually a giant to-do list and yeah. it's really easy to get sucked into the task. 
So you only know people while you're doing something with focused intent and they're just there. And then layer on top of that, you have some people that are on stage and some people that are in the booth and some people that are under the stage or, you know, backstage. And they, you know, we're in this high pressure environment and we're, we're supposed to be able to work well together. Yeah. We're created differently. We're separated by distance. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, there's a lot that's kind of packed into that whole principle, but the idea is that when you want people to really operate well as a team, a high performing team, so that like you really can rely on each other or your very different talents come together in sort of a magical way where the, the sum is greater than the parts, you know, when you want that to happen, you can't just conjure that up by putting people in the same place and thinking something great's going to happen or giving them the the common task and thinking that suddenly you'll get that. It just isn't the way things work because that sort of interaction really depends on trust and relationship and those things, well, you know, they have to be developed before you need to lean on them, if that makes sense. And so part of this was just saying, look, if you want your team to function, well, you have to pay attention to some of that sort of off-task time. Make sure that people have a chance to know each other and build relationships and all outside of the moments that they're trying to leverage those, because otherwise you, you won't have them when you need them. Yeah, it's so interesting hearing you say that. This goes back a few years, but we, the team that I was a part of, we were like, you know, we, we really need kind of these one of these off moment moments together. And so we decided we were going to, uh, we rented a boat. Uh, it was like a tour. So it was a big sailing. It wasn't like a, just a sailboat, but it was like a rigged ship kind of a thing. It was like old timey. And so there's maybe 20 of us like piled on this boat. And it was kind of a dicey uh, Chicago weather day. But we're like, yeah, we're going to do this and it's going to be amazing. And so we are like getting out of the harbor and we hit the waves of Lake Michigan and they're gigantic. And so the captain turns the boat into the wind because that's, you know, he raised the sails at that point and then turned back out of it. Anyway, we like went straight into these waves and just within minutes or seconds, we hit this gigantic wave that drenched like four <laughs> or five people head to toe, completely soaked. And we're like, turn around, we're, go- we're going back. Uh, so the thing, and we got a rain check, uh, you know, for our trip, but that moment developed some, you know, trust and relationship that yeah. could have been bought any other way, even though, you know, by the outward standards, it was a complete disaster that that kind of field trip. But yeah, just the fact that five people got drenched turned out to be a great well, memory. I know. I think that's great. And, and, you know, a lot of people think that, like, if they want to build a strong team like this, they've got to spend a lot of money for high, you know, high dollar fancy experiences that they do together. And sure, some of those are all right, but that's not really necessary. It's It's about, well, I guess, two things. It's about making space and honoring the fact that giving people a chance to hang out together or to get to know each other or not treating that stuff like it's off task, but actually recognize that it has some value is an important move for a leader. If you want to get the most out of people as a team, they've got to have a chance to work together. And you might even go out of your way to assign some tasks or create opportunities that require them to interact together, you know, just just so that they can build that. Because, you know, you don't invoke trust. You don't just declare, I'm going to trust people. I, I, work, with, <laughs> I work with a variety of leaders that'll, that'll say things like, I trust everybody till they give me a reason not to. <laughs> I know that sounds pretty cool, but it's just, you know, it's, it's basically bull. Because right, that's right. not how tra- trust works. You, you have to build it over time. And it, that requires time spent together. So, you know, if you've got a team and you want to help them kind of come together in that way, don't regard their hanging out and fooling around together and stuff like that as always off task. Obviously, you know, balance it, but that's important. And then the second thing is what you brought up is if something rough happens like that, something that's not enjoyable, let me encourage you because you don't have to have 100% blue skies and, and, and smooth sailing. Some of the things that bring people together most most powerfully are shared difficult experiences. Right, right. And so if you see that happening, you know, it doesn't mean you have to take joy in that, but as a leader, lean into it and make the most of it because those are the things that bring people together so that then when you need a real team that can rely on one another, there's something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of the teams that I've been a part of, 
yeah, those moments of working really hard at Christmas or remember that all-nighter we pulled? You know, yeah. in the moment, we just, you know, can think of a million things you'd rather be doing. But, you know, somehow we forget maybe the, the not-so-pleasant parts of that. But, you know, that we were there together and uh, doing yeah. it together, yeah. Well, when you, when, you, when you pull that all-nighter as a team, on one hand, you're focusing on everybody doing what they need to do to get the job done, and that's fine. But then there's sort of this meta level. Don't be afraid to lean into the fact of, look, we survived this together and we did all this together and kind of do a lot of together talking. Right, because right. Because that really helps people when it comes time that you need to call them to do something together again. Yeah. Okay, so the next that I picked, and maybe it's not unique to the three sections I picked because all of the chapters are sort of interconnected, but sure, the, next, yeah. the next one uh, that I went to in the fuel section was about trust. And uh, let me just go to this page. I'll read this quote here. If people can be successful individually, they won't mm. depend on others and trust won't grow. Yeah, yeah. And then success requires in interdependence. Yeah, that's a tricky word for people, that idea of interdependence. Yeah. Because, um, you know, often when um, someone is trying to increase trust in their team, they make a lot of speeches. You know, they try to tell people how much they should care about each other. Or that's usually where you start reminding people that they're all members of one body, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be making such light of that. I mean, there's truth in that and all. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I've really found that trying to get people to trust each other and work together by, like, um, preaching to them and trying to change their hearts about this mm -hmm. is not as effective sometimes as simply changing the rules, changing the structure so that they have to depend on one another to be successful. Yeah. Because if people can be successful independently of one another, they will. And your goal as a leader, if you really want to build a strong team and create the environment to build that trust, is to, to create an equation that no one can be successful without everyone being successful so that we're genuinely interdependent um, on one another. And sometimes that can be hard, and it, and it doesn't sound as great as like snappy speeches with violins in the background. Yeah. But if you create a situation where I can't succeed without you, now we're either going to become a great team or we're going to work hard trying. Yeah. yeah, and I think the just from my own perspective as a tech person, so much of my life has been about tell me what you want to do and what I'm responsible for, I will crush it. And so let me handle my thing. Let me make it so that it's totally predictable and fits into a box and so that I can be successful. Yeah. Let, me, let me speak to it from the other side of the equation because I'm the person that's depending greatly on tech people. Mm -hmm. You know, I... And, there is no moment that I can go into a, an event or a church or something like that and speak that um, if the tech doesn't go well, like if the tech team doesn't do a good job, there is no way that this will be successful. There's yeah. no opportunity for me to walk in and go, well, you know, I did my stuff great. That was a great talk. <laughs> the fact that no one could hear it or that there was constant feedback or that the lighting was, you know, is incidental. I can't right. ever say that, right? And that's yeah. really true from any any perspective that if if I can regard my own separate performance as success or failure separate from the whole, then it's going to be really tough to develop that sort of trust and interdependence. Instead, you want everybody to recognize that they're independently providing something essential to the overall collective success. Right. And that that just makes a big difference in the sort of energy and initiative people put into being a team. Well, and I think too, just hearing you say that thing about it is that for me, what I'm doing is affecting you. And so for me to come forward and say, is there anything I could do better as it depends on me that would help you do your thing better? Mm, yeah. And I don't know that I ever thought to ask that question for years, you know, just to realize that things are interdependent. Yeah. Mostly I felt, uh, I looked at it from a selfish standpoint, like I wish you would do these 10 things for me because yeah. then my job would be easier. Yeah. But that's not really, that's sort of missing the point. Well, and it's, it, you might think about that too. If you happen to have some people working with you, um, some volunteers or a team of some sort or anything, it, it's a gut check for you to think about what is it that you said you're you're about? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? You want to be able to talk about the overarching 
total success. Like we're here to pull off this great event or even more than that, what is the event supposed to serve? Well, if I'm in a church, maybe we want to pull off this event in the way that actually draws people to Christ or gives Christ a good name, you know? Yeah. When you can name that sort of goal, well, everybody then can find how their individual contribution plays into that. But if instead you break that down and sort of carve it up into little pieces you give everybody, well, then it's easy for them to feel like as long as they did their thing, it's fine, rather than owning the concern and, and input for the whole picture. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just reminding me, I uh, my son is a musician. Uh, one of my sons is a musician. And so he was playing, he's been playing keyboards for a long time. And I just told him, because I'm a tech person, I just said, hey, you know what would be really great is if you went up to the audio engineer at front of house and said, what could I do better to help the mix? Like, how yeah. could I sound better? Like, what, what could I give you to, to improve that? And he kind of pushed back. I mean, at the time, I think he was in middle school or something, you know, it was like <laughs> a kid and he pushed back a little bit, but then, yeah, what, the kind of trust that gets built in the situation where, hey, this kid actually cares about what he sounds like and what it sounds like all together and is yeah. trying to give me what I need. I mean, I think that that's something that helps really build that trust instead of waiting maybe for somebody else to kind of build the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. To be figuring out how can I, what questions could I ask to build it from my side? Well, and it frames it. So we know we're all in this together, seeking the same thing. I think a lot of times if we don't do like what you encourage them to do there, we, we just immediately forget that we're all about something together. We just think that independently we'll focus on our thing, and it's sort of incidental that those contributions will come together in some whole. Right, right. The goal is instead to elevate that whole and talk about that whole. And if you're in a position with your authority to even make it so that that whole has to include everybody, all of those things help you create a better team. Yeah. Right. And maybe we've talked about it already, but just the idea of, if I'm responsible for a particular part of that whole, I have to care deeply about it. I have to go after it like uh, it's the most important thing. And then I have to be ready to just open my hands, yeah. let it go so, so that it's serving the needs of the whole, not just I've turned it into something that is not that helpful. Oh, yeah. Well, and you've been in that spot, I'm sure. Whenever you plan for a big event or something like that, you plan like mad. And then when it's actually happening, it's always something happens that wasn't according to the plan. And one of the worst things is if you have people that are determined to stick to the plan regardless. Right. You, know, you need people that, that, like you said, have planned and are determined to do their job well, but then sort of open their hands to that and go, but now together we own this being a success. And if that means I've got to adjust or you've got to adjust, we're going to do it. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so good. All right, so that leads to the last section about heat, and I loved I loved a lot of these uh, uh, <laughs> chapters. But critique was the one that I picked up on because I think that's uh, critique is something we don't really do well in the church. I think we have a hard time with it. Yeah. So let me read read from this. Oh gosh, I, I wrote a page number down, and there are two quotes on the page. So, well, that makes me happy. Maybe they're both good. Yeah, right. <laughs> when critique is applied consistently and woven into the culture of a team, it feels natural and it's safer for creatives or tech people to receive it and profit from it. You want me to make some sense out of that? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let me, uh, here's another one. Uh, stand by. If leaders offer critique too early, too strenuously, or too unexpectedly, their teams become preoccupied with anticipating problems and preempting their concerns. Yeah, yeah. I really love this uh, because I, I was feeling it. Like I, I remember a few times being there, like getting some critique and then just sort of getting to the place of just tell me what you want and I'll do that. Which yeah. now I've shut off my my gifting, my passion, my, you know, my best for the team. And now I'm just like, just tell me what you want. Um, yeah. In, in moments like that, it, it, people, and not just creatives, but anybody, when they're receiving critique like that, or that's the way it happens, it, without realizing it, you shift your goal. Instead of trying to do something really exceptional, doing something great, you start just trying to minimize the critique you get. 
Right. <laughs> you know, and it, it makes sense, right? But that but that immediately shuts down all opportunity to do extraordinary things and it makes everybody sort of adopt a defensive posture and just it's a minimizing sort of position. Sure. Yeah. So on one hand, like the first quote you you read there was really part of a section where I was writing about the fact that before we talk about how to give critique, like one-on-one, -on -one, that sort of difficult interaction that we all have experienced or want want to do better at, um, you, you've got to think about the culture of a team because you want to kind of create a culture in which getting feedback is expected and it's fine. Um, and that it's not isolated to like, if you're bad, somebody says something. No, if you're good, if you're bad, if you're a top performer, if you're a worst performer, it really doesn't matter because everybody gets this. Right, right. And I think in our culture of the, the technical artists in the local church, we generally only hear things when things are going bad. That's true, yeah. There's a That's, real press, especially on leader's time. And when I say leader, it doesn't have to be somebody with a big title or anything else, but right. somebody who's in a position to own the quality of this thing there's so much pressure on their time that they pick and choose and they have to give that kind of feedback. Right, but right. But since they don't feel like they, they're required to give the other stuff, they, they don't in order to save themselves some minutes. And that's a really mistaken choice on their part. You want to give a, a good feedback as generously as you give corrective feedback. Right. And I think hearing you say that in some ways, no mistakes or whatever the alternative to like things not going well no mistakes, they're so transparent that we become blind to them. We don't see them anymore. And I would say they've just become not a foregone conclusion, but a, an expectation or a, a, what's the word, when I'm entitled to something. Mm -hmm. you just, we, we don't notice it, we expect it. And so why should I have to say anything about it? Yeah, yeah. And it, well, and that can be a joyless place to work too. Oh, pff, yeah, for sure. But but I'll tell you, one of the reasons that you want to build a culture like this, and I, I mean, this sort of goes hand in hand with it, is that, look, there aren't any perfect people. Um, nobody's doing a perfect job. And it's trying to build a culture where we all understand that and we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't create that kind of culture, a lot of people's effort goes into appearing to be problem-free and appearing not to make mistakes, which feeds into this sort of wincing when there's any feedback to correct or redirect so if you can create an environment where everybody, including whoever the authorities are and whoever the leaders are, everybody makes mistakes and benefits from help and redirecting that all, it it removes some of that stigma. Right. And people feel like, you know, when you get critique, it's not the verdict that you're bad and have suddenly been revealed as imperfect. Right. No, it's just commonplace because we're all like this and it's part of our common commitment to doing extraordinary things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think too, it's it's so easy, again, if you're uncomfortable with how you're wired or you're a little insecure, that critique can feel very personal. Yeah. Especially, uh, so this is a blanket statement, but in a lot of churches, there's no clear target for what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so you're, you don't even know what you're being measured against. And so... <laughs> I, call that, I call that bumper car leadership. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you know you've experienced bumper car leadership when it crosses your mind when you when you think this you think well if you'd have asked for that in the first place I would have you know because that's usually when somebody's been completely unclear about their expectations and then you've worked really hard on what you think it is and you come back to deliver it and instead they go about bumping you into what they really wish they'd had all along right right but the real problem there is about the lack of direction not just the critique. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, I didn't really like the mix and this and that, you know, it was too loud or, you know, it's too high, too much high end or whatever. And the person mixing like, uh, what, like, what is it even supposed to sound like? I, no one's ever talked to me about Give me it. a target, right? Yeah. yeah, right. So I think along with, I think I love critique. I always want to get better. I think it's such a healthy thing. But on the front side of it is like, you have to be able to critique against a standard or a, a previous yeah. conversation to say, hey, we did not reach our the standard, so let's talk about it. Um, instead of like, hey, you're you're not doing what we need you to, but we maybe never yeah. told you what that is. Well, you can imagine what what it feels like to like suddenly get a pop quiz. It's like being tested on something no one ever told you you were accountable for. Right, right. I mean, 
I, can I throw out there just one tip for folks that are listening that I think sure. is really helpful in giving critique? It, it made a big difference in my own life and, and others too. Sure. There's all kinds of things we could talk about in terms of how to give critique better and that. But let, let me just say this one thing. The timing of your feedback is really important. And one of the things I, I hated, and I bet a lot of people listening to this hate, is when um, you might talk about something you're working on, something you're preparing um, that they're getting ready to do with somebody. And that person then starts giving their two cents. Or maybe not even two cents. They start giving you two bucks. I mean, yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're really getting all into this. And you don't want them in this. And that's the kind of critique that's really painful and all. And I'll tell you, the issue of that is that it's poorly timed. So if you have the opportunity to give somebody some feedback, um, whether you call it critique or not, let me encourage you to ask where they are in this project. Because there's there's very different critique required if, let's say, Let's say they're like 80% into this project, 80% done. Well, if if that's the case, then this is the time for you to offer some critique that's pretty robust, right? You can take out the white gloves and be pretty nitpicky because sure. if like the next step is implementing it or doing it at the event or going to press, you know, whatever those things are, now's the time to, to sweat every detail. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But if they're just starting... Like if they're just 5% into this thing somehow, um, this is not the time to get all picky about that. I, I ran a graphic arts business for a while, putting myself <laughs> through grad school. And like if somebody wanted to talk about concept and I'd come say, why don't we do something like this? And then they'd immediately start critiquing the shade of green that I used in my mock-ups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's infuriating because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll deal with that later. I need to know what you think about such and such. It's because this is at the beginning of the process. So if somebody's at the beginning of the process, this is not the time for that strenuous critique. This is that time to ask questions and encourage them and kind of play with it together. And that kind of critique can be a lot more gentle and fun. Right, right. Um, but let me just encourage folks to think that way because I find that that's maybe the biggest blunder that, that people in leadership and supervisory roles make is that they don't recognize the timing of their feedback. So they give the wrong kind or the wrong amount. Right, right. Yeah, it's reminding me, I used to do video editing work. And so I would get a transcript of the video edits. And so I'd put it together and like add some music and, you know, have the instructions and the producer would then come in, hey, can I see what you have? I'm like, okay, uh, I'm not done. Uh, you know, the, the music's not all finished and, you know, some of the volumes. No matter how much of that you said. Well, right, yeah. So then we watch it and the music would like just cut off, you know, immediately. Hey, what's hap what, what happened to the music? I'm like, I'm not done. Like, I, I think I told you all this, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how many people don't listen to you when you're telling them, like, music's <laughs> just a placeholder there where I've just stubbed in these cues. We'll figure them out more specifically. When No matter how much you say that, it's shocking how many people ignore that and start trying to hone in on that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this has been such a great conversation. And I maybe uh, before we end it, so you're going to be at the Philo Conference, and one of the things you're, that we've asked you to talk about is kind of the, the transition that a lot of tech people who are in leadership need to make, which is like you're used to doing stuff. Now you have to lead people doing stuff. Uh, maybe just you got like a tidbit or something you can share about the, just the concept of that. Yeah, I really want to talk a little bit about the fundamental difference between being a doer and being a leader. Because um, that's something nobody tells you about. But if you're really good at doing, eventually you're going to have the chance to lead. And and by the way, when I use the term leader, I don't necessarily mean you've got some highfalutin title. I mean, you might. But even if you don't, you always have the opportunity to exercise leadership to, to like help your team work better or help this group think better, execute. You know, that's what I'm talking about. And yeah. what I find is that when people do really well and exercise their technical skills and all really well, it's natural that they get the opportunity then to exercise leadership. Right. And at that point, they have to change the way they've been thinking. And all those things that they've been doing previously that distinguish them can become liabilities. And so I'm going to take a little bit of time to to help make that clear and encourage people on how to step into it. Ah, so good. I'm looking forward to it so much. Um, so maybe just as a reminder, your book is called Fired Up. Kindling and Keeping the Spark in Creative Teams. It's available on Amazon. Do you, you have a website that also you can order the books there or? 
Sure. If you're interested in that or a variety of other things there, it's uh, drandrewjohnston.com. Okay. Wow, you've really snagged that one. That's not always available. <laughs> yeah, I, I was fortunate in that way. A few of the other <laughs> things that would be natural are not available to me, but that yeah. one, com works. <laughs> yeah, I tried a long time to get ToddElliott.com, but the person uh, just sitting on it. Yeah, so. Anyway. Oh, yeah. The, oh, I'm sure you could have that for, you know, uh, you know $20,000 or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did try to buy Philo.com. And uh, yeah, no response. Did somebody have that already? Yep, somebody yeah. in Italy actually uh, owns the rights to it. So, hmm. Okay. Well, it's well, like a it's like a corporation. You know, they're just they're waiting to make lots of money on it. I think. I was going to say, but it's nothing as important as the Philo community. We need to pull together our lira. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we could. Yeah, do a, a, a <laughs> Italian fundraiser GoFundMe page. <laughs> GoFundMe.it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. I'm looking forward to being uh, with you at the Philo Conference in a few months' time. And uh, yeah, thanks for making some time today. Oh, thanks. It, it's been a joy. It's been good to get to know you, and I'm excited to be part of the Philo community. You could see why we're so excited to have Dr. J join us at the Philo Conference this year. Yeah, what a great guy. And you know what? Sorry again for the rabbit trails. I led this conversation down near the beginning, but really fascinated by the twists and turns that life throws at each of us and how each of us respond. Yeah, it was you know, kind of interesting. Maybe nothing to do with the technical arts in the local church, but yeah, a very human thing. So, And you know what? The rest of the conversation, I resonate with so much of what we talked about the fact that trust and relationship are the key to any team success, that we should be building relationships with our counterparts in the non-critical moments, not just the critical ones, and that for our team to work well together, we can't be independently successful, but we need to be interdependent for us all to succeed. If you go to the show notes, you can find a link to check out Dr. J's book, Fired Up. It really feels like a must-read kind of book for anyone leading a team, especially the kind that we represent. Shifting gears now, if you've been to a Philo conference in the past, you know Aubrey Wentz as one of our co-hosts and often a teacher of many breakouts. And she's not only on the Philo core team, but she's currently leading our first ever all-women Philo coaching cohorts. And one of the best parts about the cohorts has been just a chance to feel understood and to bounce ideas and challenges off of each other. And as technical artists in the local church, you know what, not many people outside of our community really understand what it's really like. Well, you could take that a step further and imagine what it's like to be a female in the predominantly male-dominated world of church production. And I'm so excited to hear how God will be using this time to pour into the lives of female technical artists from around the world. Yeah, so cool. And if you're interested in joining not only all-female cohort, but just the regular kind, uh, you can go to philo.org slash coaching, and you could sign up for the waiting list for the opportunity to sign up for the next round of Philo Coaching Cohorts. And we have one coming up in April, which will be led by Alex Sawyer, who's a TD at a church in Richmond, Virginia. And he's been an alumni member and part of the very first cohort and a great guy. And I'm super excited to see how God moves and works in that group. Each cohort is limited to 10 people and each person you know, has a chance to share and be heard. And the ones that I've been a part of have really helped me through this COVID time. And yeah, I'm excited to see how God's gonna use not only the one that Aubrey's leading, but also the one that Alex is about to lead. If you wanna keep up to date on what's going on, you could subscribe to our newsletter, which is at philo.org, or you can follow us on social media, at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram, or at Philo Conference on Twitter. You can also email us ideas and suggestions, even feedback on this podcast by going to philopodcast at philo.org. You send us an email there. All right, until next time, see you later. Thank you.